I was uh, driving here from Guelph this morning behind snowplows, and I thought of the story of a snowplow driver who noticed that for more than 20 minutes there was the same pair of headlights in his rearview mirror, and he finally stopped and climbed out, and there was a young lady at the steering wheel, and he said, excuse me, I've noticed that you've been following me for the last 20 minutes at least. Is everything okay? And she said, when I was young, my dad told me, if I ever get stuck in a snowstorm, if there is a snowplow, follow the snowplow, and you'll be safe. And he looked at her and said, well, we've done Walmart, so maybe we'll go to Canadian Tire next. That had nothing to do with my teaching. <laughs> I was trying to find some spiritual application for it, but it's like, nah. It's just a story. I have a question for you, though, and it's a bit of a trick one. Is God one or three? Hmm. Right, you're giving me the right answer. I have, over the last few years, muddled around in my head over the paradigm both and, and the many ways in which it applies better than the paradigm either or. And I've tried it out in my head uh, about a whole lot of things, and there has come some wisdom from that. And as I was preparing for this morning, I realized that the question, is God one or three, is not an either or, it's a both and. The right answer is yes. Um, if, if you ask somebody, do you want this or that, and they say yes, you, you get frustrated. But sometimes the answer is yes, it is both and. So theologically, biblically, and by our faith, we accept that God is one and three. But what I want to talk about this morning is the way that we have, at least popularly in, in our thinking and in our, our verbiage, made the birth of Jesus the beginning of Jesus, right? That we could probably say, no, I, I think I've heard and, and I believe that he was a pre-existent. I, I haven't explored all of that. But when I think about him, I really begin to think about his existence in Mary's womb. That was not the place or the time of the beginning of Jesus. But because we have allowed our thoughts to kind of drift towards that, and Christmas just sort of um, emphasizes that, that kind of propensity on our part, we might be thinking about Jesus in a limited, limited way. And if we could get our heads this morning around the better biblical understanding of how Jesus began, I'm positive that it will elevate our understanding of Advent and of Christmas. So I'm just going to meditate on that with you this morning for a little while. And it's just that one thing that I'd like to sink in. And it might be something that you go home with and say, hmm, okay, how do I apply this both-and thinking to Jesus and Christmas? Um, how has my understanding of Advent and Christmas been affected by realizing that the Bible does not start the story of Jesus in Mary's womb. 
Because in our heads, I think that's what we kind of drift to. Jesus was born. He was a boy. Um, Sooner or later, he discovered that he was more. And then he realized that he had come to be the savior of the world. We can get that chronology kind of staggered away from the biblical understanding of the beginning of all things. So I'm going to take this morning to the beginning and the end of the Bible. And in between it, we'll figure out our bearings about Jesus. The beginning of the Bible simply says this, in the beginning, God. It's the most delightful beginning to any work of literature. Um, It's not introducing things, it's not giving backgrounds, it's not giving context, it's not trying to intrigue us. It simply says, in the beginning, God, and then continues, created the heavens and the earth, and we have the whole narrative of creation. But the premise of the Christian faith is that in the beginning, God. That's where we start. And when we start with God, we then read into the first few chapters of Genesis and have um, the historian kind of tell us what God means, what God was doing, what it means that God made the heaven and the earth, that God created the heavens and the earth. Because when we get well into the story, after we see everything else that's pulled into place by the word of God, and that's an important concept, God said, and there was, God said, and there was, and he saw that it was good, he said that it was good. At the end of that creation narrative, God said, let us make man in our image. Now, it's important there to hear that God said, let us make man in our image. And if we're looking carefully, we'll say, well, who is he talking to? Like, it's not the royal we. His majesty and I, right? We, let us make God in our image. So we don't know anything more at the moment than to realize that God is talking to more people than himself, or more beings than himself, or to whatever is around him as he speaks. Then it goes on and says, so God did create man in his own image. In his image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There are really important lessons in that Hebrew parallelism that the image of God is constituted not by one being, not by a man, but by a man and a woman. Let us make God in our image, and so he did. Male and and female, he created them. And as well as that, we realize that the image of God is not uh, reflected in gender. God is not a gendered being, even though the story of God is told with male pronouns for the most part. God was not either male nor female. The maleness and femaleness of humanity reflect the image of God. The image of God is the fact that we are more than one, that we are a community, and the image of God is that we are diverse. So in that one little verse, Genesis 1 verse 26, we have a whole theology of gender, of creation, of purpose, and so on. But it, it, it's the beginning of the story of the Bible that says in the beginning, and does not tell us where God came from, 
nor are we able to understand where God came from. If we were able to understand where God came from, um, we would be in a psych ward someplace saying things that we don't know about. So we do accept that we leave open the question, where did God come from? God simply was. <clears throat> in the beginning, God was, we might supply, created the heavens and the earth. Then we fast forward to the end of the Bible, and at the end of the Bible, we have the verse that, that um, has prompted the, the art that we're looking at, where Jesus is speaking to John, and he's revealing himself and the future to John, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Now, the Lord God sandwiched in there is very important because it is the way to express the highest uh, appellation of God, like the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the Jehovah, um, the covenant name that God gives of himself. That's the way in the Greek we find it's usually Lord God, and you will find Lord capitalized and God uh, in lower caps. Um, and so right in the middle of what we said last week about God, or Jesus being the Alpha and Omega, and then about the who was and is and is to come, um, we have, it's the Lord God saying this. And yet Jesus is the one who is talking. So he's talking to John, and he is the Lord God. And we might say, well, wait a minute, I thought he was Jesus. And then we would go back to, well, is God one or three? So is it God or is it Jesus who's talking? And without getting into too many riddles, um, he goes on then and says, he is the one, I am the one who is and was and who is to come, and just in case you missed it, the Almighty. So the way the Bible begins and ends is a statement about the plurality of God, about the sovereignty of God, about the fact, as we said last week, that he is the meaning. Uh, if we were to use language to express meaning, like Alpha and Omega, Jesus says, I am that meaning to the whole of life. And I am the one who is, got it, who was, got it, and who is to come. Now, Andrew's going to explain what it means, who is to come, next week. But for now, I want us to look at the fact that he is the one who is and who was. When did Jesus begin existing? He began existing whenever this is explaining that God always was. Jesus, we presume, is one of the ones to whom God is saying, let us make man in our image. The other clue we have is that we're told that the Spirit of God is brooding over the darkness. So there is matter, and God is the one who created that matter, and God is the one who is going to bring order out of that matter, out of the chaos. He's going to do it by the agency of the Holy Spirit who is hovering over that darkness. And God is going to call forth light. Interesting, light existed before the sun and moon. So light is not a physical um, entity as much as it is also a spiritual entity. Now John comes into the middle of all of this biblical theology and he very, very deliberately mimics the language of creation. And here's what he says. So 
beginning of the Bible, we have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? By saying so. Who did it? A plurality of beings who are the one and three. And at the end of the Bible, we have, again, an inclusive kind of description of this plural deity um, who is the one is, that is expressed as the one and the three, what we call the Trinity. Trinity is never a word used in the actual Bible text, but it's what we've used to describe what we understand the Bible to mean. What we understand the Bible to mean is that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Which one is first? Which one's most important? Which one is less God than the others? Which God is a mode of God and not actually God? None of, that, none of those are true. Each one of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have always existed. Each one is entirely the deity. In him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily, we're told. So if you have only Jesus, you have the whole Trinity. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the whole Trinity. But you also have three beings who are not only in some the whole Trinity, but they are unique as personalities of their own. So we worry the most about the Holy Spirit. I mean, he may seem to be, well, God is most God. Uh, Jesus is second God, and the Holy Spirit is third God. So there's an incident in the, in the early New Testament church where there's a couple who lie, and when they're confronted, they say, why has Satan put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to man, but to God. So like an overt statement, the Holy Spirit is not um, a, a move of God, it's not a, a wind, although he is described in wind-like fashion. Um, He's not just the words of God. He, he is God. So even if God the Father and God the Son are taking a Sabbath that day, the Holy Spirit represents the fullness of deity when anybody interacts with him. So a lot of times we, again, practically could, could say, well, I, I get that. I think I could even write that down to say what we believe. But practically... Um, how do we relate to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? When we pray, to whom do we pray? Um, when, when we think about God, who are we thinking about? When, when we try to caricature God, or maybe even envision God, what do we think about? Well, this Advent season, at least, we want to pull up our, our biases about Jesus and rid ourselves of the idea that he began to exist when he was born, or at least when he was conceived of the virgin. the virgin, He already was. Now that gives us incredible things to imagine and to wonder about, and I think it's great that we do that. Um, Max Lucado has written some great books about this, and he says about Mary, did it ever occur to you, that's God eating my soup, right? And those are the things. I mean, when did Jesus know he was God? When was the fullness of God in Jesus? So those are questions I have no idea about the answer about.
But we, what we do need to know is, let's get rid of the notion that maybe he be, God came into him at his baptism or something like that. He was, before he was even conceived, God. In fact, we have in the Old Testament what we call Christophanies, where God appears in human form several times. And as far as we know, God the Father never appears in human form because nobody has ever seen God at any time, even though the little boy is drawing the painting. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father has exegeted him to us. We, we have seen God physically as we have seen Jesus historically. And in the Old Testament, before Jesus came to earth, he appeared. Apparently he appeared because if it is the God the Son who appears in bodily form ever, then the times that God actually showed up and did things, like walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, who was that? Well, if it was Jesus, where was the Father? Ah, that's a trick question, because if it was Jesus, it was the Father, and it was the Spirit, because it was in God's image. So God walked with a community as a community. And many of the things that we need to express as the body of Christ have to reflect that plurality, that community, that equality, um, that would express better than individuals can. Um, that we are in the image of God. So in the beginning was the word. And John is playing with both a Greek notion, the Greek notion of logos, and he's going to a Hebrew quote from the Old Testament. So what he says, and if he's using the word logos, and then later we hear him say that Jesus called himself the Alpha and Omega, we can go on all kinds of proper rabbit holes, right, about language and meaning. But John says, in the beginning was the word. And it doesn't say, in the beginning, the word was created, right? In the beginning was the word. If you go back to the beginning, what's already there is God and the word and the spirit. And then our friends who are Jehovah's Witnesses have done us, done themselves, um, a great dishonor dis um, by mistranslating this. So if you have a New World Translation, it'll say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. A God is a false translation, like a deliberate mistranslation. Um, any credible scholar will say the grammar demands that this is not an arthrist. Um, it's articulate, which, which means that the word was the God, if you want to be clear about it. The God as we understand him. The language is lovely. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And then the second thing is the word was towards God. And then the word was God. So if you can kind of concoct a little location in the beginning, from the beginning of time and before the beginning of time, the word was with God. They may be thought of as being side by side. The word was towards God. We may think of them as being face to face. In fact, the word was God. And so roll all of that together to say that there is this blessed, eternal, godly dance 
between three partners who are each one the whole of the partnership. Isn't that incredible? And how do we know that? Because God has told us. If we start from nothing and try to imagine what God is, we may come up with a watchmaker's analogy, and then something like that can be useful, where we can say, well, when we look around, it seems improbable that that snowman um, evolved from all the snow that fell this Sunday. It feels like somebody built that snowman. So those are the beginnings of our um, defense of our faith, so to speak, or our, our apologetic. But what we really need is that God tells us, because we need those aha moments where we realize we can't figure that. We would never have figured out the Trinity. We might have come to some model that came up with something, but if we didn't have scripture, we would have a sense that there's someone out there, and that's a good place to start. We would have a sense that this whole notion of, of beauty might come from some judge of beauty, or the sense of justice that is in us might come from something external that is a judge. And that's where N.T. Wright's signposts are really beautiful. He, he espouses a bit of a natural theology that says there are signposts all around us that point towards God. And then he would say, but what we need in the final day is that God tells us. Once I was leading a small group Bible study, and my mother-in-law was in the group. And I was doing the thing that leaders are supposed to do. I was saying, what do you think? What do you think? John, we haven't heard from you. Audrey, we haven't heard from you. What do you think? And finally, Anima's mom spoke up and said, Ian. I said, what? She said, do you know the answer? I said, yes. She said, well, for goodness sake, tell us. Anyway. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, John is being very clear, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. So John says, I hope you're hearing me mimic Genesis chapter 1. This is my Christian theology of creation. In the beginning, God, the plural, was. And logos is the expression of God that John came to know as Jesus. And Jesus, as he existed with God, was with God. He was apart from God and independent from God, even though he was God. And Jesus was towards God. And Jesus was God. And there's nothing that exists that he did not create. Not a single thing exists except by his creation. And God said, let there be, and there was. The God said is the Logos that at the end of the Bible comes back to us again and says this is the one who was, was when, just was, always was, and is, and is in the sense that he did not stop ising, and who is to come, the, the Lord God Almighty. Very simply this morning, as I say, I just, I hope we can stretch into our hearts and heads and say, 
let's not just worship the babe in the manger, but let's understand who he was. And when we understand who he was, the incredible story of the fact that he was the means of God's entering time and space. He came. He who was God came here. He didn't stay in his God's fear, but he came here. I have every Christmas and Easter that I can remember reread this book, the, the Singer Trilogy by Calvin Miller. And I think this little section has helped me over the years to be in awe of the truth of what I'm saying here. You'll understand. Um, this is um, a retelling, a mythical retelling of the story of the New Testament. It's delightful. The father and his troubadour sat down upon the outer rim of space. And here, my singer, said Earthmaker, is the crown of all my endless skies, the green, brown sphere of all my hopes. He reached and took the round new planet down and held it to his ear. They're crying, troubadour, he said. They cry so hopelessly. He gave the little ball unto his son, who also held it by his ear. Year after weary year, they all keep crying. They seem born to weep, then die. Our new man taught them crying in the fall. It's a peaceless globe. Some are sincere in desperate desire to see her freed of her absurdity. But war is here. Men die in conflict, bathed in blood and greed. Then with his nail, he scraped the atmosphere, and both, both of them beheld the planet bleed. Earthmaker sent Earth spinning on its way, and said, Give me your vast infinity, my son. I'll wrap it in a bit of clay. Then enter Terra microscopically to love the little souls who weep away their lives. I will, I said, set Terra free. And then I fell asleep, and all awareness fled. I felt my very being shrinking down. My vastness ebbed away. In dwindling dread, all sighs decayed. The universe around drew back. I woke upon a tiny bed of straw in one of Terra's smaller towns. And now the great reduction has begun. Earthmaker and his troubadour are one. And here's the new redeeming melody, the only song that can set Terra free. The shrine of older days must be laid by. Mankind must see Earthmaker left the sky, and he's here with us. They must concede that I am he. They must believe the song or die. Earthmaker left the sky. How oh, we pray? Father, it is to us not to understand but to wonder, to believe, and to hear from you. Thank you for what we experience in our spirits as we encounter truth. Thank you that that will happen this morning as we encounter, maybe for the first time or for the umpteenth time, um, 
the powerful truth of Jesus pre-existing his mortal life, of Jesus having always been, and the awesome love and power of God that was able to leave the sky and come to this uh, insignificant little speck because of your infinite love for us. Father, it's true, um, we do weep and die. And so at Advent, uh, we ask that you will kindle in us again a hope for the truth of what we've been meditating on, that he is the one who was and is. And what we will think about next week, he is to come. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.